The Winter Olympics in South Korea are less than a week away, but like other games before them, it's not just sport making headlines. These games will be played amid heightened tensions on the Korean peninsula. It was less than a month ago that there was a breakthrough in negotiations and the International Olympic Committee announced North Korea would participate in the Winter Olympics. North and South will march together under one flag in the opening ceremony on Friday night. But make no mistake, while their athletes may compete together for the first time at an Olympics, the North and South are far from united. My Sunday evening co-host Natalie Peters is in Korea to cover the Games and she has actually stepped foot on North Korean territory. She joins me on the line. Nat, good to talk to you. Great to talk to you, Paki. So Nat, you can now add North Korea to your list of countries travelled. Yeah, that's right, Taki. I was actually standing on the North Korean side of the demilitarised zone, but I tell you, there was no risk of me going any further than that. I was still in that uh, joint security area, but onto the the North Korean side of the border. And this was part of a UN-sanctioned tour, which was led by the US military. Yeah, that's right. You can take tours into the demilitarised zone. Um, I had a US military guide uh, that was uh, taking me in. Of course, this demilitarised zone was set up in the wake of the Korean War as, as part of the armistice. So the military demarcation line runs 241 kilometres across the peninsula and then two kilometres either side of that line is the demilitarised zone. So it's four kilometres wide. Now, away from Seoul, about an hour and a half drive is the mm. joint security area. That was originally patrolled by the north and south but after a, a UN security commander soldier was killed in an axe attack, this area too is now split with a line down the middle. So after four security checkpoints, we were driven into the joint security area, then taken uh, in strict formation, two lines. We had to walk up into Freedom House. Then we walked out into the joint security area where you could see North Korea's version of Freedom House right there staring straight at you. And in between was a row of six small buildings, Three Blue, which belonged to the UN or US, South Korean uh, organisation, that side of it. Then three grey buildings, which belong to North Korea. So armed South Koreans are standing guard, half hidden by the buildings for protection, facing the north. And they don't and flinch. When, uh, they don't flinch, those North Korean guards, do they? Well, we couldn't actually see the North Korean guards. So we could see the South Korean guards. All right. We visitors stepped out into the joint security area the North Korean guards stepped back behind the buildings out of our view and out of the view of our cameras because we were allowed to take photos for a short amount of time. So we were marched into one of the blue buildings, which is the NAC conference room where mm. they have military meetings. And uh, there were two South Korean soldiers standing guard there for our protection. I tell you what, Paki, though, they looked like wax models. They were standing in the pose with their hands yep. just at their belt buckle. Yep. Unbelievable. So it must have been a pretty incredible experience standing in that conference room where these military meetings take place. Yeah, incredible and surreal and also a bit confronting given that the area is so intense. I mean, the microphones in front of us on the table are observed by the UN, South Korea, the United States, and also the North are sitting there uh, listening as well. You couldn't take any photos to the South, only towards the North. They were very strict on that. And actually, the US soldier who was escorting me had conducted more than 160 tours during his post there. But he was also one of the soldiers that responded to the case 
of a North Korean defecting back in November. You'll remember the man mm. was shot five times. They were able to drag him out and let him back into safety. So this U.S. soldier was involved in that operation. It was incredible to, to talk to him and, and to be there with him. Nat, uh, you also had access to a South Korean observation site with a view right over North Korea. Yeah, this was called Dora Observatory, and it was actually the first stop for the day. Uh, the first thing I noticed was the bitter cold. It was about minus 12 degrees, but there was a strong wind because it was at the top of a hill looking out over North Korea. So, of course, the view was the next thing I noticed. Uh, you look over the barbed wire fence, uh, a high wire fence with huge rolls of barbed wire, and then you can see right down into North Korea looking over its village, which the South knows is propaganda village. Low-lying hills, lots of scrub, and you could see right off to the mountains in the distance. And I tell you what, Packy, the next thing I noticed was the music blaring from giant loudspeakers. Have a listen to a little of what it sounded like. That's the sound of South Korea blasting military music from its Dora Observatory over the heavily fortified barbed wire fence deep into North Korea. Now, the purpose of these gigantic loudspeakers, which up close leave your ears ringing, is propaganda. The South blares music and commentary designed to persuade North Korean soldiers to doubt their own regime and possibly even defect. And when I was actually standing in the joint security area, flanked by South Korean and American soldiers being watched by those from the North, I could hear the music drifting from North Korea's speakers somewhere in the distance. So the border is among the most heavily fortified in the world, but it is incredible to stand in the biting cold, looking out over a nation feared around the world and listen to music being used as a military weapon. That, that is absolutely incredible. And you also went underground to one of the tunnels North Korea is accused of digging in a bid to attack Seoul. Yeah, they've discovered four tunnels over the years, but the third tunnel is the one that you can actually go to. It's become a tourist attraction, much like the DMZ uh, in general. You go down a monorail to about 70 metres underground with a helmet on. I did hit my head once uh, on the tunnel on the way down. And then there's a 265-metre walk to where South Korea has blocked that tunnel. They've got three blocks, so you can walk up to the first. Two metres high, two metres wide, so you're walking in single file, you're bent forward, your arms are behind your back, you're back taking. And then when you get to the end of the tunnel, there's a copy of the 1953 armistice and you could see through to the next blockade. You could see the dynamite uh, stick holes in the wall. Uh, the evidence that the north dug it is that the slope means the water, underground water flows back to the north, but also the direction of the digging. Uh, the north claimed that some of those tunnels were naturally occurring, but of course uh, the South Koreans are convinced, and, and I think appropriately so, that it was North Korea that dug those. Uh, so that was an incredible opportunity too, and then you walk back on up, um, which was a good workout, but an incredible experience. And if anyone is thinking of Travelling to South Korea on a holiday, it's worth this trip from Seoul to see this incredible piece of the the, uh, the history on the Korean Peninsula. Now, uh, Nat, there's a lot of talk about these being the peaceful Olympics, and indeed we'll see the North and South march together, but it sounds like there's no real thawing of tensions on the border. Oh, that's for sure. It was incredibly tense, and the US soldier that was guiding me said that the Olympics haven't changed anything about their day-to-day operations. They're already uh, they're always incredibly strong. 
When it comes to the Games, uh, the North Korean contingent is here in Pyeongchang and the North Korean flag is flying in the athletes' village and at the stadiums. And that's um, an incredible step because it's not allowed in the South to fly the Northern flag. And so they've made a, a, a relaxation of the rules to allow them to fly in the stadium and the athletes' village. There has been violent protests in Seoul, and uh, they're mm. calling it the Pyongyang Games instead of the Pyongyang Games. Mm. And uh, I did see a, 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 quite a, a, an active protest yesterday in Seoul. It wasn't directly at the Olympics, but it was targeting the, the former president and, and the regime here. And this is from a very conservative right-wing group that was protesting. There is a lot of scepticism that this cooperation will lead to anything after the Games. Uh, Intelligent Risk CEO Neil Fergus believes that it doesn't signify any change to policy or ambitions of the North Korean regime. Of course, Japan very sceptical, so we'll have to wait and see. But it is a positive step that the athletes will actually be competing together, not just marching under the same flag, which we've seen before. And so uh, all eyes will be on Korea after the closing ceremony, no doubt, to see what changes. Well, the opening ceremony starts on Friday night. When does the uh, sporting action begin? Well, it actually starts on uh, Thursday. We've got qualification and Britt Cox, one of our great uh, gold medal hopes and the moguls, will be off to qualification on the Friday. So she'll be uh, pretty much our our first Aussie athlete in action. That's at 10 o'clock, so midday Sydney, Friday time before the opening ceremony. Going to be a cold ceremony for our athletes who are marching. We're looking at about minus 15 degrees. They've been giving out packs, or they will be giving out packs to the spectators heat warmers to sit on and to hold in your hands, blankets, things like that. Mm. There was an extreme weather alert last night because it got down to minus 15 in Pyeongchang. So it is absolutely freezing here. And I can tell you, Paki, this morning I went out and spent $60 on a beanie to put over my beanie because it is that cold. Oh, wow. Well, Matt Peters, keep warm. Thanks for your time tonight. We look look forward to hearing uh, all your reports from uh, the Winter Olympics over the coming weeks. Thanks for having me, Paki. There she is, my Sunday evening co-host, Natalie Peters, reporting from Korea, where she'll be covering all the action of uh, the Winter Olympics for the network.